So I look around and um, I see the amount of people that show up on a Sunday evening. I know God said we must do this. But every once in a while then your flesh creeps in and you wonder, where's the people? Where's the leaders of the church? Where the people that are supposed to be here? Is it worth carrying on? And it got to me tonight. But also I was asking God when I was standing there, Lord, what do I do? Do I just call it quits and give it up? Because it's been a battle for quite a long time. And I was ready to say tonight, this is going to be the last evening service. Because we're not getting... It's not all about attendance, but man, it should be better than this. But it's about people's commitment or lack of commitment that's, I suppose, getting to me. I don't mind preaching to one, but I've got expectations of God's people, that they would be committed to God. And we've been talking about how important it is to attend church. And I'm talking to the converted tonight because you are here. It's all the other people who are supposed to be here that I should be addressing this to. But also heard clearly that no, we'll push through. And it's going to be, it's likely that we won't have a praise and worship team for a while in the evenings. And that's okay. Because we're not here for the people on stage. We're here for God. But you see, I'm talking about faith and I want God to raise my faith on this. And I want you to stand with me in faith and pray for me for the evening service. I pray that you would faithfully attend. I pray that you would faithfully invite other people. I pray that in faith, this will go, will grow. And we will go places with the evening service. But I ask that you commit to standing with me on that and praying with me for that. Is that okay? Amen. Sorry, I got it so emotional, but it's just, it's, oh, just heavy on my heart. Now, I do want to talk about faith, and um, just think about that for a while. Been up since I started talking, so some of you have been looking there and um, wondering what that's all about. See, faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. But it starts with that word faith. If we want to see the things that God has said to us in his word, we've got to start believing it. So we can see the credible truth of the word of God becoming reality in our life. It takes people of faith to stand in faith for things of faith and it, not everyone has got this ability you'll see it's pretty clear when you read Romans and a number of the other books that faith is only for the converted faith is only for those who are in Christ anyone outside of Christ cannot claim to have the faith of Christ believers it is something that we do so I want to ask you tonight as the Lord is stirring my heart to increase our faith? Is it stirring your heart about your level of faith? Is there things in your life that you need more faith for? 
Maybe it's behavior. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's an illness. Is God stirring you to be more faithful in certain aspects and generally more faithful overall? Because God does not expect our faith to remain static, but it should be growing. Now, I read a scripture this morning, and I promise you I've read through the Bible a number of times, and I've read it a whole lot of times in all likelihood, and I have never, ever seen this verse. I've read it, but I've never seen it. I've never taken note of it. And what's happening now, Jesus is talking to his disciples about what's going to happen at the end when you know, God's people are going to be persecuted, but God would come and battle on our behalf and reclaim and, and, and be good to us where the world has been bad to us. And it, ends, it goes on in Luke 18 verse 8, and it says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice. That's us, his people. We'll get justice for all the wrong done to us as believers. And quickly, however, now this is the part I've never read. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will Jesus find faith on earth when he comes? Will he find faith in you? My wife's just picked up a phone to check if that's actually in the Bible. It is there. I was shocked this morning when I read it. When Jesus comes, will he find faith in his people? That means you can be without it. You can have what, he was given, what was given to you, or you can have what was expected for you to have with what he has given you. Remember that thing about the gifts? Growing that? Our faith is one of those gifts that's supposed to be growing. This is scary. It's an intense question that only you can answer. You see, we all have faith. To each of us, if you go read Romans 12 verse 3, it says to each a measure of faith has been given. Okay? Now, the word that they use there isn't there isn't consensus does it mean a belief system like a religion or are they actually referring to faith but irrespective god says we've got faith or jesus says if you believe in god you've got faith so if you do and you all believe in god okay you believe in the son you believe in the holy spirit if you don't you just lied to god when you sang that song because that's what we sang so if you believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you've got faith. Okay? Now what are you doing with that faith? What is happening to that faith that has been deposited in you? What are you doing with a measure of faith? Is it growing? Is it becoming more than what it was? Or is it dying within you? I said to the people this morning that if you're smelling something funny around you the whole time, it's your faith that has died within you because you haven't put it to work. You haven't exercised that faith. It goes on in Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 9. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Okay? So you have to have faith to be saved. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. So what it is saying to us, and this is important, because you do works, doesn't mean you have faith, okay? 
faith is a gift from God. But once you've got faith, you'll see now, now we're supposed to do works. Okay? You can't get faith. Faith should result in works, as we will see. You see, faith is a gift. But we needed to believe in God first to receive it. Now, I don't know about you, but you don't believe in, or you, you're not going to receive something you don't believe in. Okay? So if you believe in faith, you receive faith because you believe in God. You don't go about saying, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in, in God the Father, the Son, nor the Holy Spirit, but I have faith. You don't have faith. You've got nothing. Faith comes from that belief. But what are you doing with the faith? Are you making it grow? If you need more convincing, you can read 11, Hebrews 11 verse 6, and it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Who wants to please God? Okay, so you've got to have faith. And then having faith by itself, is that pleasing God? To a degree. But to a larger degree, when we put that faith into action, I think that really makes God smile. When we start believing and doing what His Word says, then I believe we are pleasing God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. As I said in Romans 12 verse 3, to each a measure of faith has been given. Now we get to this part, that we need to let our faith grow. It's cool if you got it, okay? It's awesome. I'm happy for you. But man, if you were doing something with it, if we were actually seeing you going out and putting your faith into action, that would make God happier and change a whole lot of lives as well as improving your own life. It would go beyond where you are at because your faith touches others. In James 2 verse 18 to 22 says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. Well, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble at that knowledge that they believe in. But do, but do you want to know, a foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So you got faith, but without works, that faith is meaningless. It is dead. Was not Abram our father justified by the works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? I'm not asking you to go sacrifice your kids to prove you got faith. But go put your faith into action by touching other people's lives. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect. And in the NIV, it says, says his faith was made complete. In other words, it was incomplete. It was imperfect. Because of the works that he did, it was made perfect. It was made complete. It progressed from initial faith to extraordinary faith because God was utilizing the faith within him to touch people's lives, to grow in Christ. I believe there's people that got way more faith than other people. And they put the faith to work and it grows even more. So they start trusting God for more and for bigger things. You see, there's no difference between one believer 
and another believer except this, that the one believer puts into practice what God's word says and so sees the results of the practice and believes God for more. And the more he believes God, the more God is able to do through him because he's got greater faith because of what he's already seen. And that is why it says, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. In other words, he believed what he could not see. Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. He believed this, he put it into practice, and he saw what he couldn't see over there when his faith was rewarded over here. And there was perhaps a healing, there was a breakthrough in a situation, there was a prophetic word, there was whatever. Faith has to work, it's got to be active. So, who wants to grow their faith? Are you sure? Okay? Because more often than not, our faith grows by the trials and tribulations we go through. It says in James 1, actually, that our trials and tribulations produces faith, and faith produces perseverance. So you go through these things. We have these things happen to us. Is anyone's life perfect? Or have you got ups and downs and perhaps an illness, a child who's not quite in line, a mom and dad who are on your case, uh, Perhaps you're looking for a house. Perhaps you're, 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 you didn't get an increase at work and you desperately need one. Perhaps this or perhaps that. Is everyone's life okay? Or do you have these things? Well, you see, the things you have are opportunities to grow your faith. When you place your trust in God, because your faith is in His ability and in His Word. When we start doing what the Word says, because it says... Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay? So you've got to understand what the word of God says, what is able to happen, what should be happening. And when we start practicing what the word of God says, we should expect our faith to grow because it's in practice. When we read the word, when we pray, when we lay hands on people, when we just put our hope in Christ for all things, then we should start seeing the results of our faith. And that is the way it grows. But then we've got to understand what the Word says. We've got to know the Word. We've got to believe the Word. And we've got to trust in the promises of God, which are in the Word of God. I guess the biggest obstacle is we don't know the Word of God, so we don't know what to expect from God. Okay? And it's no excuse if you say, oh, but you know what, I don't have time to read. Or some of you say, well, I don't read really well. You know, make time. Get an audio Bible. Do what you want. My wife and I actually don't have a lot of time to spend in the Word, believe it or not. But we've set up a schedule or a way of doing things. I get into bed and I sleep. My wife gets into bed and she learns. Because she's listening to the Bible. She's listening to teachers. She's doing teachings and podcasts and tablet and apple hood and she makes me mad i want to sleep but she's growing her faith and then she takes the next day what she's heard and she tells me and she tells others and she prays for people and she touches lives she imparts what she's received from god me i'm at time in the morning not when i wake up i'm a grumpy goat when i wake up okay 
after my second coffee I'm able to function and I come and I sit in my office and the first part of my day is spent learning more about God if I got a gap in the day I would learn more about God I've made time because I want to grow in God not only do I want to grow in God but I want to grow in my faith because of how much I believe in God and how much I believe he wants me to um, to know him better and to trust him more I want to see the impossible this morning we had every sick person stand up and we had every person in this church go to a sick person and lay hands on them and we prayed believing in faith for healing okay because that's a trial an illness is a trial it's a tribulation it's an opportunity to grow your faith but it's an opportunity for other people to look at your life and have their faith grow where they do the word of god unto you and they lay hands on you they pray for you they trust god you're going to get a job you're going to get a house you're going to be healed you're going to get breakthrough in your relationship with your children or with your mom or your dad or whatever it is their faith grows because of trials and tribulations in their own life and trials and tribulations in other people's lives. Do you want an example of faith during trials and tribulations? I'll tell you a story, and you can follow me in Acts 27 if you've got your Bible here. If you don't, you're a naughty Christian. Can I have a sip of water? It's the story of Paul and the shipwreck, and you all know it. Paul has been arrested and is... Um, he appealed to Caesar, so he's on his way to Rome. Now, unfortunately, a part of that journey is a sea voyage. And in those times, sea voyages at best were like hazardous and not often all that successful. And he's got quite a way to go by ship. And he's got this Roman guard, and they decide, look here, they're going to set sail conditions aren't favorable but they have to endure and they set sail and immediately the second day already it says and the winds were against us okay when the winds against you it's a lot of hard work to move forward and often in life the, the wind is against us and we have to row all the harder but we've got to have faith in God that he will get us through this that the wind will die down and we will make headway. And they are off the coast of Silica and Pamphylia, and they, they, um, they, they land on an island, and they find another ship, an Alexandrian ship, and they board that. But it's during this time that they come to the realization that the safe time to, to sail the seas in that part of the world had already passed. They were entering the season of storms, and winds and all these other things where most ships wouldn't sail they decide there's still a gap and they're going to go Paul a man of great faith because of his relationship with God he gets a message from God and he says to them men I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives. Where does that come from? From faith. 
from relationship. You see, when you got this relationship, God tends to reveal himself and talk to us all the more. Paul has this revelation, this insight, and he shares it, okay, hoping that the people who are his captors would take heed and listen, but they do not. And because he says, listen here, I hear what you're saying, but we're going to set sail anyway, Paul in that moment has got a choice to make. Do I start panicking and be filled with fear, or do I have faith in God that despite the weather, despite what is the norm, people don't sail, we are going to sail despite that. I'm going to trust God that me, the ship, and all the crew will be safe, but more so me and everyone on board, because human life is of value to God. So he shows faith, and they start off, okay? It's the beginning of winter, a bad time to sail. But here's how the devil operates. He makes things look like this is a good idea, like it's a God idea almost. And that happens in a lot of our situations. Initially we think, yes, this is what the Lord wants, this is what I must go. Because the devil has come in, and he's turned things so that it looks okay. It says here, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw the opportunity. So they lifted the anchor and began to sail because the gentle wind was what they needed to be able to make this journey. But it had to be from the south. And things started off really well like it does often in our lives. You were going along and you're just enjoying life and you've been blessed with a family and it's going well. You've got work and an illness strikes you. And then you wonder how to cope. This is what happens. It says before very long, this gentle south wind turns into a hurricane force called the Northeaster, swept down from the island, and the ship was caught in a storm. Okay? Paul knew something was going to happen. Despite the storm, when that hurricane wind started to blow, he had to have faith for the ship and for the crew. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. They could not make any headway. So what did they do? They had to drift along and let the wind blow wherever it wanted to. They were driven along by the wind. That takes faith because you don't know when there's a piece of land ahead of you, where's the jutting rock. You don't know when there's a big wave. You're at the mercy of the wind and the sea. It takes great faith to remain faithful in a situation like that. They were so scared that they passed the ropes underneath the ship and they would bind the ropes on top so that the ship could not be split apart by the force of the waves. When they start with these ropes, okay, you know, this is now getting like really serious stuff. If they, the sailors who are experienced, are scared, I've got every reason to be scared as well. But I can let fear take over my faith, or I can tell fear, get out in the way of my faith. And Paul decides to have faith. They lower the sea anchor, okay? And they get in. Now, the sea anchor is to, to stop them being dragged along too fast and too far. So it's dragging along the boat bottom, slowing their progress down. Eventually, though, that's not helping, and things are getting so bad, they start to toss the cargo 
overboard. The cargo is the crew's livelihood. Without that to sell, they cannot be paid. But they are so desperate, the situation is so dire, they decide to throw the cargo overboard. And there's things in your life that might just be a burden to you where you are right now, which you've got to get rid of. You've got to throw those things overboard so that you can live freely in the love of Christ. Now that was bad. But the next day, things are so bad, they take all the ship's tackle, everything they need to sail the ship, the ropes, the sails, the pulleys, whatever they could lay their hands on that had weight, and they chucked that overboard. They had made peace with themselves that they wouldn't need that again. What will be, will be. And Paul, the only believer on board as far as we know, must have been sitting and looking at this and thinking, Lord, you said I'm going to Rome. Do I believe you? Or do I let the situation control me and give up hope for my life right now? He must have faced that question. He must have looked at what was happening. This was days and days and days. But God says to him, you're going to be okay. I said you will get to Rome, and to Rome you will get. And that must have just given him what he needed because he tells his men, he says, men, you've been 14 days. Imagine this, 14 days in a storm. You haven't eaten You've got no hope. You don't know when your ship's going to down. go down. Imagine that knot of fear in your stomach. You can't sleep because you're too scared. After 14 days, Paul says, guess what, boys? It's going to be okay. Eat some food. You're going to need your strength. That's faith. Imagine... He's standing in front of this bedraggled lot of sailors and all the crew and everyone else on board. They are hungry, they're tired, they've been weather-beaten, they're wet, they're grumpy. They would kill you if you were positive. You not dared not even smile at them. And he says, chill, boys, it's going to be okay. I would have chucked him overboard, I'll be honest. But he convinces them to eat some food. And then whatever was left, all the grain that was left on board, they then chucked overboard as well. Because the storm was still raging. So now, they're totally at the mercy of the elements. They don't even have food on board anymore. The cargo's gone. The tackle is gone. All the food is gone. They're living in fear of being drowned. All they've got to hold on is to Paul's words, it's going to be okay. That I started to take soundings. Now soundings is that let down a weight on a, on, a, um, on a string, on a rope, and they realized taking that, the water's getting shallower. Paul had said to them, it's going to be okay. But the sailors fear the worst. They know when it starts getting shallower, they're about to run aground. They let down the lifeboat, making as if they're going to check it. They actually want to escape. The sailors, the ones with the knowledge, the know-how, want to abandon ship. Okay? The rats always leave the ship first. 
let the rats go in your life. Okay? In this case, you need to let them go. Let them get off. In this case, Paul said, the Lord said, no one must abandon ship. Get them back on board so that we all may be saved. And he somehow convinces the centurions to get these people back on board. So what happens next? They still got the anchors and decide what use would the anchor be and toss them overboard as well. Now there's no hope, nothing. If you know anything about sailing, the last thing you want to, you could be without a sail, but you don't want to be without an anchor, especially when there's a storm. So they cut the anchors loose and they let them go. At the same time, they untied the ropes that held the rudders. So the rudders would be tied so they couldn't go this way and that way. They go one direction with the wind only. Now they untie it. They're totally at the mercy of the currents and of the waves and of the wind. And they've got to trust in something now. Paul was trusting in God. The sailors who were heathens were likely, likely trusting in some sea god or something, whoever they prayed for. Depends which religion they were from. The soldiers decided, look, if we're going to run aground, we'll kill all the prisoners. But they get convinced not to do that. The ship strikes a sandbar and runs aground. And all that Paul has got to hold on to is the word of God that said everyone on board the ship will be saved. You see, he's got to put his faith in that. He's got to trust that. They are shipwrecked. People swim to shore on pieces of plank, whatever they can be found. But when they do account, every single man on board was saved because that is what God had said. That is what Paul held on to. During this trial and this tribulation, many times when he could have abandoned his faith, given up hope, he overcome with fear, he held on to his faith. What situation are you facing where your faith is being tested? Where you should have more faith than you currently displaying? What is the storm in your life look like right now? Who's your life jacket? Who's the one who you holds on to? Who's your lifesaver? Is, the one, is he the one who walks on water? Because that's where your faith must be in Jesus. This story goes on. They, they get washed ashore. These people on this island welcome them. Okay? They've seen this through. Paul's faith is getting rewarded now. They get welcomed aboard this island. They light a fire. They get food. Paul goes off. The mighty Paul, the prisoner, but the man of faith, he goes off and he gathers more wood to put on the fire. You would think, after the trial he's been through, surely there can't be any more. But there's one more obstacle, one more distraction, one more thing to be overcome. And as he puts his wood on the fire, a viper comes out and bites him on the hand. And it says it actually attaches to his hand. The people are absolutely fearful. They think he must be demonized. He must be something because how can he, after surviving all of this, and he's finally safe, now a snake bites him. But he shakes it off 
into the fire. See, when the fire of God comes into your life, then the snakes are going to come out. When things start going well, the devil will try harder to distract you. He will bring negative reports. He will try what he can. The snakes will come out to distract you, to deceive you, but you need to stand on the word of God. Can you imagine? they expecting him to swell up, to start foaming at the mouth, whatever. He could have thought exactly the same. If he was expecting those symptoms, they likely would have happened. But he shook it off and he carried on. Had he been in fear, ooh, it's going to start hurting, I'm going to feel the tingling, I'm going to start swelling, I'm going to start foaming at the mouth, he would have come to naught. But he stood up as a man of God, a man of faith. He did not think. He did not give in to the plan of the devil. He stood firm on the word of God that says, I am going to Rome to make my appeal to Caesar. God has said it. I believe it. Nothing, not even a snake, is going to stop me. He goes on and he heals people all over the island, including the chief's father. Because of his faithfulness, other people were blessed. And if you are faithful in your situation, your situation can bring about immense blessing to other people. But then you've got to stand in faith. No matter how dark it seems to get, you've got to see the light of Christ trusting in his word for your breakthrough. We need to increase our faith. We need to apply our faith. We need to start doing works because of our faith. We need to start praying for each other laying hands on each other and trusting God for a breakthrough for one another. Faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. Thank goodness. In Matthew it says, with God, all things are possible. All things. So tonight I want to ask you, what is your thing? What is it that we can trust God for in your life? If you've got an illness, if you've got a problem with a relationship, if you've got a situation that is just to you at this moment overwhelming, whatever you have got, I want you to stand. You don't need to tell us what it's about, but I want you to stand, and we're going to pray for you. We're going to stand together as a body of believers and trust God for breakthrough in your life. So if you've got a thing, please stand. Let us pray together. Okay. Now let's push the boundaries. And each one of you who is still sitting, go stand by someone who is standing. Make sure each person has at least got one other person. And try not to make it your husband or your wife. Has everyone got someone? Look at them and remember them. And I'm going to ask you to commit to pray for them today, tomorrow, and every day 
until we have breakthrough. Is that okay? Lay hands on that person. Let's close our eyes. God, we come before you and we say to you, be all the glory because you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above measure. And it does not matter tonight, Lord, what our situation is, how dire that situation is. You, Lord, are Lord of the breakthrough. You are the Lord above all. And with you, all things are possible. I thank you in Jesus' name. Illness and affliction will flee. The diagnosis from the doctor is not what you have said, Lord. You have said something more, something greater. You have said by your stripes we are healed. You have said, Lord, that no situation is beyond you. And you are for the father. You are for the mother. You are for the children. You are for relationships. We pray for relationships among families, Lord, that your will be done, Lord, that there will be peace in the home and the children will benefit, Lord, from the situation that you enter into, Father God. We pray for people who are looking for work, Lord God. We thank you. You're the Lord who provides. And Lord, what things, when things look bleak, we don't look to the economy. We don't look to what the papers say. We don't look to what other people say. We look to you, Lord, and we say, thank you, Father, for your provision in terms of a job. We pray for the one who's looking for a house tonight, Lord God. And there's a deadline. And we thank you, Father, by November, there'll be a house available at the right price in the right area. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray, Lord, for those who are battling with love relationships, with people close to them, where things aren't as they should be, Lord, that you would write that in Jesus' name, and you, Lord, would be the glue that holds those people together in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, where we have got issues in our life, we are battling with certain things. You, the one who breaks bondages, Lord God. You, the one who does away with sin. Thank you for forgiving us, for saving us. We thank you, Lord, that tonight you're making us a people of faith because we're becoming a people of action. And by your, by your word, Lord God, we stand and we say thank you for who you are, for what you're doing. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.